All right. It is uh, May 16th. At least it was when I started. And uh, we're in Daniel, starting Daniel chapter 10. So here we go. Uh, Daniel 10 opens with the third. This is the third and final dream that Daniel has in, in the books of Daniel. In fact, the next three chapters, this chapter 10, 11, and 12, all deal with this uh, third and final dream. Uh, chapter 10 here really is, is like a prologue or an introduction, uh, so to speak. Uh, chapter 11, we'll, we'll get into details about the future history of the nation of Israel uh, as interpreted in the dream, and it will transition into chapter 12, uh, which is much shorter, but then we're, then we transition from the, um, this side of eternity, history of Israel, to uh, the tribulation period and beyond uh, for the nation of Israel. So it's, it's, it's quite a ride, quite a journey that we're going to be on in these uh, three chapters. Just a reminder, uh, chapters two through five, Daniel was interpreting dreams for others. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar, two dreams there, and then King uh, Belshazzar and, uh, in chapter five. And then the, the dream sequences turned to Daniel's own dreams, visions that he had in chapter seven during the uh, first year of King Belshazzar's reign, 553 B.C., Visions he who he had visions that he had rather in chapter eight, two years later, during the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, that would be about 550 BC. Then the visions he had in chapter nine, remember that during uh, uh, after the fall of Babylon during the first year of the Medo-Persian rule of Darius the Mede in 539 BC, and uh, just a reminder. Darius the Mede was given governance over Babylon, uh, while King Cyrus was the overall emperor of the Medo-Persian Empire. So uh, remember, they were um, involved in ruling around uh, at the same time. Um, and so Darius the Mede, if you remember, was appointed by Cyrus to govern uh, Babylon. So now in chapter 10, the final vision is given to Daniel, and it says it's during the reign of King Cyrus in 536 BC. How do we know it's 536 BC? Well, the clue is in the first paragraph of chapter 10. It says, in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. So when Daniel talks about the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, he's talking about, uh, remember Cyrus uh, and, uh, and his armies coming in in 539 BC, defeating Babylon. So it is now the third year past that. So if you take 539 and, and, and you start uh, figuring in, uh, the time that there was the transition between uh, Darius and then uh, King Cyrus. Uh, Darius died after about three years. Anyway, it brings us to the, to the year 536 BC. So let me summarize it real quick because I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you. Daniel's first vision was in 553 BC. 
Daniel's second vision was in 550 BC, and this third vision is in 536 BC. All right, so we are about 14, 15 years past the end of chapter 9 now as we start chapter 10. And this is the final vision and the ramifications of, of the human history of the nation of Israel uh, that is detailed in chapters 10, 11, and 12. Now, remember the Jewish exiles after Cyrus comes in, the armies uh, defeat uh, Babylon. The Jewish exiles in Babylon begin their journeys back to Jerusalem during the reign of King Cyrus, during the time that Daniel is receiving this vision. He is probably somewhere between 85 to 88 years old right now, and he chooses to stay in Babylon. It's not stated why, uh, but we can probably surmise that one he's in his mid to late 80s and maybe he's just choosing not to make that trip to jerusalem and start over again he he uh due to his age he may be laying back but i i think part of it is god put daniel in the position he's in to speak and write to the gentiles and then to speak and write to the jewish people now, remember, not all the Jewish people leave right away. So during his lifetime, he still has fellow Jews that he is going to be uh, encouraging and possibly shepherding and to advocate for as the new Medo-Persian Empire uh, starts its uh, reign following the fall of Babylon. So I think, Daniel, it, it's, a, it's a couple things that play into that, his age and the fact that there are Jews that are still in Babylon. And so I think, you know, all that plays into why he chose to remain in Babylon and not uh, go to uh, Jerusalem. So a reminder, the Jewish waves of returning to Jerusalem came in three waves that spanned a little over 90 years. So it was almost a century uh, of these three waves of the Jewish people that came back to Jerusalem. The first wave began in 536 BC under Zerubbabel. You probably remember that name. He, was, uh, he helped the Jewish people uh, start rebuilding the temple. And that first wave of exiles in 536 BC there were 49,897 exiles that returned in that first wave. And you say, Mike, how do you know that? I mean, is that just bad pizza and you had a dream uh, overnight about that? Why would you get that number? Well, if you, and we won't do it right now, but uh, in Ezra 2, if you look up Ezra chapter 2, it gives you the exact number of the people of the Jews that returned in that first wave from Babylon back to Jerusalem to, uh, to rebuild the temple. Okay, first wave happens, 536 BC. About 80 years later, 80 years later, a second wave of Jewish people um, that number is somewhere between 4,000 to 500 exiles. They go with Ezra 
back to Jerusalem. And if you remember, Ezra uh, helped the people beautify the temple, refine it, and he also led the Jewish people in repentance before God uh, to ask forgiveness for their uh, disobedience. And so it was not only a time of, of finishing up the temple and refining it, it was also a time of spiritual truth-telling to God, uh, asking for forgiveness, and a time of spiritual renewal uh, for the Jews. And then, about 14 years after the second wave, comes the third wave, and that is led by our, our good friend Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king at Xerxes. And uh, so that happens in 444 BC. So that third wave happens about 92 years after the first wave. So you're looking at almost 100 years for the three waves of the Jews to return to uh, Jerusalem. And so uh, during that time, Daniel will have uh, died uh, in Babylon, uh, but we will, uh, we will get his uh, vision that he had, that third vision, and we'll also get the interpretation of that vision from heavenly messengers. All right, so with that uh, introduction, let's, let's jump into chapter 10. Honey, right, can I ask a yes. question? Yes. Um, so how many, on the third wave, how many went back to Jerusalem? I don't really have a number on the third wave. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can't really find an exact number for that. Uh, I think it was probably way smaller than the first wave. Uh, so you know, the, and, and, and not all of the Jews left Babylon. That was my question. What was yeah. the, how yeah, many some, remained? Well, I don't have a number, but many remained in Babylon. Um, okay. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe age, maybe that's what they were used to. Uh, by that time, uh, there probably weren't many that were around at the time they were taken as exiles into Jerusalem. And so uh, Nehemiah really is, is uh, if I could call it this, the spiritual cheerleader for this third wave. And remember, the significance of the third wave as opposed to the first two waves. First two waves dealt with the temple. The third wave deals with rebuilding Jerusalem itself as a city. Remember the moats, the trenches, the, uh, the, the public uh, plazas, uh, the infrastructure of, of Jerusalem. And so this is the huge uh, building project that actually rebuilds the entire city of Jerusalem. And sadly, um, well, I'm not going to get into that history. Anyway, so I'll leave it at that. Otherwise, we'll never get done today. <laughs> but anyway, okay. yeah, I don't have the numbers, but not all of the Jews okay. returned to Jerusalem in that, in that third wave. How, how many do we think were there in Babylon at the high point? Do we have any idea? Don't, don't know. Okay. Don't have a number. Yeah, because all, all we can go by is what Ezra and Nehemiah uh, give us. Uh, the, the first two wave, the first wave we know exactly because they took a census of uh, which families of which tribes went there. Uh, we don't have that history for the, the second and third waves. Okay. Thank you. All right. 
In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. I think maybe one of the other reasons that maybe Daniel did not choose to return to Jerusalem is his understanding of this vision, because what this vision gives Daniel is a peek into the future and how horrific it's going to be for the nation of Israel. Okay. I'm looking at my internet signal. Are you hearing me? Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're hearing you, but it, um, every once in a while you freeze up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Another re, uh, look at verse one. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. So Daniel knew from this vision that the road for Israel was going to be volatile and uh, full of hardships. And I think, you know, maybe that's another reason why he thought I, you know, perhaps he needed to stay back and just minister to the Jews that, that remained uh, during his lifetime. And he knew with those hardships at 85 or 88, that's probably not a journey that, uh, that he needed to take. Anyway, so <clears throat> this vision that Daniel gets strikes him to the core, uh, as he understood in general that the future of, of Israel, not just in the short term, but for Israel's future end times history, it was going to be an extended time of spiritual and physical warfare and great hardship. Look at verse 2. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All the time <clears throat> I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. So the question here in my mind is, is one of timing and interpretation. Did Daniel receive the, when did Daniel receive the vision? Uh, was he mourning and praying for Israel and then received the vision? Or did he get the vision and then begin mourning and praying for Israel? The answer to that question is, for whatever reason, he was, and, and this was at, at the time of the Passover, when many people would have uh, been, been celebrating it, he was in mourning for the nation of Israel. Apparently, uh, he, he just felt that uh, he needed to, to dedicate, seeing everything that had happened to his people over his 85 or 88 years, he, was in, he had deep concern. He, he was in deep mourning over his people. And so he went into his uh, version of praying and fasting, of denying himself and uh, not, not, eat, not eating any rich food, uh, just bare sustenance so that he could plead for his brothers and sisters of, of Jewish heritage before God. And he just sensed that very, very difficult times uh, were ahead. So uh, he continued in an attitude uh, of prayer. So his prayer and fasting are happening. Then he has this vision, and apparently he, he continues 
uh, to mourn over this. I think the New Living Translation has a good um, read on this in verse 3. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three weeks. Okay, so you see the timeline. He had already been in mourning for his people, and then this vision comes, and I believe God honored Daniel with this vision at this time because of Daniel's mourning and his praying and fasting to hear from God. All that time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until uh, three weeks had passed. So now, after those three weeks of prayer had, fat, had passed, Daniel has a visitation. Here we go, verse 4. And, and this, uh, by the way, you may ask in the NLT, how do they know it was on April 23rd? Because Daniel tells us in the Hebrew calendar when this occurred. And uh, the New Living Translation uh, folks have adapted that to the Gregorian calendar. All right, so on April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. He, his body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Now, what's interesting here is the text does not identify who this is. There are two schools of thought that, one, it's Gabriel. Why Gabriel? Well, Gabriel came and visited Daniel earlier, remember, in, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 16. Remember, he says, And I heard a human voice calling out from the Ula'i River, Gabriel tell this man the meaning of his vision. So it's fair to say that this could be Gabriel again. There are some, however, that believe that this angelic presence, this messenger from God, is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, and there are some pretty powerful commentators who believe that. Uh, David Hawking is passionate about this. Was the of course David Hawking is passionate about anything that he believes. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, his passion jumps off the page and hits you in the face all the time. Uh, but he he's very passionate that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, let's see, uh, Matthew Henry uh, believes this was the pre-incarnate Christ, and Dr. John Walford. From Dallas Theological wow. Seminary believes this is the pre-incarnate Christ. However, a lot of his uh, peers at Dallas Theological Seminary don't believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. They believe it's Gabriel. And one of the reasons that they give um, has to do with um, the appearance of uh, the Archangel Michael in, in verse 13. Let me skip down there really quick. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, the arguments of the Dallas Theological Seminary and a lot of other really brilliant theologians is, why 
or why would Jesus be held up by a spirit demon for 21 days? Why would he need Michael to stand in for him and hold these people off? <laughs> if he's if he's the pre-incarnate Christ, he's all powerful. Why did he need Michael's help? On the other hand, Dr. Hawking and John Walvert and others will say, no, this, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, let me, and I don't know. I don't know. And, and so I'm going to leave it to you. But, and did Warren Wearsby have an opinion on this? Have you read? I didn't look. You didn't look? <laughs> but would I you, will look. But I will. Would you? Well, yes. Yeah. Please look and let us know. I'd be very interested in his okay. take on this. All right. Let, let me give you a quick couple of comparisons, okay? So in, in, in terms of the man in Daniel 10.6, and Christ in Revelation 1.13. The descriptions are similar, but not the same. In Daniel, <clears throat> he wears a short linen garment with his arms and legs, legs exposed. In Revelation, Christ wears a long robe reaching to his feet, and only his hands and feet are exposed. In Daniel, his arms and legs burnished bronze, polished, it indicates a finished shining work, in Revelation, Christ, his feet are bronze glowing uh, like a furnace, still heated, very bright. Uh, in Daniel, he has a gold belt around his waist. In Revelation, it's a golden sash around his chest. His voice in Daniel sounds like uh, a multitude of people. In Revelation, it's the sound of rushing waters. His face in Daniel is like lightning. In Revelation, it's the sh sun shining in all its brilliance, and his eyes in Daniel are like blazing torches in Christ, uh, described in Revelation, like blazing fire. All right, so you see there are similarities, but not exact. Again, the question is, if he's Christ, how come he's held up by a demon? Why doesn't Christ just nuke the demon? Uh, why does he mi need Michael's help? I don't have any of those answers and neither do some of the best of the best. So I leave it to you. And so I don't know whether it's Gabriel. I don't know whether it's the pre-incarnate Christ. So what I'm going to do, because I'm not 100% sure, is just use the name, the messenger. So the messenger can be Gabriel, could be Christ. It could be another angel. We don't know. So we'll call him the the messenger. So Daniel, as this vision begins, apparently has some companions with him when this messenger appears to him. And remember in verse five, I looked up, saw the man dressed in linen clothing, belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Now his companions, Daniel's companions, apparently did not hear the voice in terms of language, but without seeing the messenger's face, apparently they saw some of this lightning flashing and they 
ran off like lightning. They, they were apparently scared. And so Daniel's uh, companions uh, scooted off very quickly. And Daniel says here in verse 7, Only I, Daniel, saw the, this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Now, what are some of the contributing factors to why Daniel fainted with his face to the ground? Well, one, uh, this is an amazing presence that's in front of him, and it, it's, it's quite shocking, I would think. But the other is, remember, <clears throat> Daniel has been fasting <clears throat> with, with no rich food, you know, just bare uh, sustenance for uh, at least three weeks. And so he's not got a lot of strength anyway. So this does him in. <laughs> he falls face down uh, on the ground uh, and he faints into his sleep. Now the messenger, whoever it might be, addresses Daniel. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. <clears throat> the NLT reads, you are very precious to God. Some of the other translators are, are similar. Let me read these because it points out how special Daniel was to God and to the people that God sent Daniel to serve. NLT says, you're very precious to God. Uh, others say, you who are mighty and highly esteemed, you who are treasured, a man of quality, a man greatly loved, highly respected, highly regarded. So you get the point about God's opinion of Daniel. God is, is so... Uh, so values Daniel as, as one of his servants. All right, so verse 12, then he said, this messenger, <clears throat> don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. All right, so there's the key to us understanding. The vision came as a result of him entering into this time of of praying and fasting. Again, continuing on in, at the end of verse 12 into 13, I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. This is fascinating. Who or what is this spirit prince of Persia? And how was he able to block the messenger from arriving to Daniel? He blocked him for 21 days. 
until the Archangel Michael uh, arrived as backup. Now, remember a couple of principles here. Men cannot fight angels or overpower or block angels. So if you're thinking about Jacob wrestling with God, that was a special circumstance. He wasn't wrestling with an angel. He was wrestling with God himself. And God allowed that wrestling so that Jacob could have a permanent injury that caused him to limp for the rest of his life as a reminder of his experience wrestling with God. So this was not involving an angel. So it appears that this, <clears throat> this prince of Persia was not a man. If he was a man, he wouldn't have been dealing with this messenger angel, whoever it might be, nor with Michael as well. So this prince of Persia is a spirit being sent by the devil, uh, probably one of his uh, most powerful demons to try to prevent the messenger from reaching Daniel and explaining the dream. So let me take a quick rabbit trail here. Are all angels able to overpower any demonic, uh, demonic being? And the answer is no. And this passage, <clears throat> this passage confirms that. Scripture doesn't give us really a hierarchy of angels. Uh, <clears throat> there are many theories about angels, such as guardian angels, which are interesting theories, but not specifically named in Scripture. I believe there are angels that are assigned to us. Lori and I have a testimony when we were in Eastern Europe, <clears throat> and we were in a car, and we were lost. We were in the middle of nowhere with no GPS at that time, and we were in the middle of the night and we were lost dark no way to tell on the map where we were <clears throat> and in that eastern european place of nowhere we prayed and a car appeared out of nowhere uh, with two gentlemen in it who told us exactly where we needed to go and that car then then vanished and i believe that was uh god had given us a uh, angelic gift uh, that allowed us to find our, our way. But anyway, all that to say, I believe there are angels that are sent to us. I believe that there are angels battling right next to us in dimensions that we cannot see. However, <clears throat> I think um, to get into hierarchies of angels, uh, we're on a little bit of, of, of thin ice. I think we can safely say that this messenger was either Christ who allowed this demon to hold him up for 21 days. He, he must have given him permission to do that. Or if it was the angel Gabriel, uh, this demon was so powerful that Gabriel had to hold him off. Gabriel, Gabriel was not able to overpower him. And he had to wait for Michael to come in to engage this angel to release Gabriel, if in fact that's who it is, to go and, and minister to, uh, uh, to, to Daniel. There was a <clears throat> philosopher, by the way, called uh, Pseudo-Dionysus in around the 5th century AD, wrote a book, 
and he assigned angels into three hierarchies and nine orders or choirs. And I'm not going to take uh, time to break them all down, but the categories contain angelic identities we are familiar with. Uh, those that are mentioned in scripture, like uh, seraphim and cherubim. And then <clears throat> there, he also bases his hierarchies after, after an interpretation of uh, Paul in Colossians 1.16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The invisible part there is usually interpreted as being applied to thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So when Paul speaks of thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, he's talking about angelic beings. He's not talking about human uh, authorities or rulers there. Paul is talking about the spirit realm, about <clears throat> the, the angels that God created who have specific responsibilities called thrones, <clears throat> dominions, rulers, or authorities. And again, I'm not going to break all that down, but I do want to let you know, if you're interested in looking it up, um, it's Pseudo-Dionysus, and uh, wrote a book on it if you're interested in, in looking that up. All right, so we don't, we don't know Messenger Christ or Gabriel, but the enemy sent one of Pastor his most... Mike? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was trying to find the time. Best just come in here. Wearsby thinks it was Gabriel. Really? Yeah. I mean... Interesting. He, he gives the same thing as uh, you said, why would Jesus need someone to come in to help him? So he leads, leans toward it was Gabriel. And later on... and. When he gets down here in 13, he says, uh -huh. as, soon as, as soon as he finished instructing Daniel, Gabriel would return to assist Michael. So he didn't say the messenger. He, right. he named the messenger Gabriel. So that's... <laughs> yeah. But he... I, and I he does lean... say... Go ahead. He does say the two... The, the people that he's battling against was two satanic evil angels. Hmm. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I lean towards Gabriel. But when Hawking and Walverd, uh, know, so, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Uh, so anyway, let, let me wrap up here. Um, uh, Thank you, Ann, because I was You're curious welcome. about what I had a feeling Wearsby was going to go with the Gabriel thing. Yeah. But I, I, I was interested in that. Um, <clears throat> we can't see what's happening in the unseen dimensions around us. We know that the battle wages and uh, the messenger and the demon uh, that the evil one sent to hold him up. Again, this king of Persia or this prince of Persia is one of the enemy's most powerful demons, it, 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 it seems. And I want to end, uh, and we'll, we'll end here in, in uh, just before Daniel uh, 10, 13. I want to go back to Paul 
in Ephesians 6.12 as a reminder, as, as applied to this situation. <clears throat> For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so it's a reminder to us this is exactly what happened. And, the, and it's interesting to me that the enemy was so concerned that Daniel not get the message about the future of Israel, the future of the end times. And you wonder why, except that this message is going to remind folks that the enemy will be defeated or is defeated and that uh, he's, he's going to be punished for all eternity, probably doesn't want that information circulated on CNN uh, later. So uh, I, think, I think what we see here is the enemy doing just about everything that he can to prevent Daniel from receiving the interpretation of his dream. Because again, the enemy wants to take Israel out. And what this dream does, it shows the enemy's plans for Israel, but ultimately it shows that God is true to his covenant with Israel and that Israel is blessed for all eternity and uh, that, that Jesus wins uh, the ultimate battle. So I can, you know, you can fathom why the enemy did not want this message getting to Daniel and, and hence this uh, great spiritual uh, battle that's uh, that's happening. All right, so uh, we're going to stop here at at uh, Daniel ten verse thirteen. Uh, we'll pick up with that next week, and we'll finish up Daniel ten, and then uh, Daniel eleven again is probably going to take us two weeks at least, and then. Uh, Daniel uh, 12, probably do that on, on one Sunday because it's, it's shorter. So anyway, we're, we're, we're getting to the end, and uh, it's fascinating to see how we can marry up the end of Daniel here to what we've learned in Revelation, and we'll make those uh, connections uh, beginning next week. All right. Any uh, question. questions? Yes. Okay. In yes, verse 3, when it says, he used no fragrant lotion. What was the purpose of using it in the first place? Remember when, well, first of all, they didn't have deodorant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Back then. And, uh, and, and so remember, too, that Daniel was of a noble uh, caste, so to speak. Yeah. In, uh, in, in the nation of Israel. And so when he was kidnapped by Nebuchadnezzar and brought to Babylon, remember Nebuchadnezzar lavished uh, gifts and a lavished lifestyle upon Daniel and, uh, and his, his three compatriots there. Um, and so part of that uh, was the lotions, I mean, that, that was part of nobility, that, that was part of the oh. aristocracy, okay. and, and spices, and also part of uh, being uh, more pleasant to be around, uh, where other people may not have had those, oh, okay. uh, those things. So the, the lotions uh, and all of that, all part of that lavishness that 
Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, because he, he, remember, he wanted to kind of wash away their Jewishness and make them into Babylonians. And so to re-educate them, brainwash perhaps, uh, he lavished them. Remember, they had the finest food that could be had. And so this was just part of their perks, uh, so to speak. And, uh, and that apparently continued uh, for Daniel. And so that, that's a long answer to your, uh, to your very short okay, question. Okay, so yeah. really, uh, that makes sense once you tell me that. Um, so what he did was he no longer participated in the finer things in life. For those 21 days. Yes, for those 21 days. Okay, that makes sense. It's almost like his version of Lent. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, and and remember the the Hebrew tradition of wearing sackcloth and ashes uh, to mourn. Daniel was, uh, you know, he he was watching his, his people return to Jerusalem, and yet he knew all was not right because in that second wave, remember Ezra was going to set it right. Ezra convicted the people. He read the scriptures in front of them and, and everybody pretty much repented led by Ezra. So Daniel and remember those that now had been born in captivity, uh, they were, their forefathers were desperately trying to make them hang on to their Jewishness and their worship of the Jewish God, while the Babylonian influence was was bombarding them with with these pagan cultures uh, and pagan gods. So um, I think Daniel is mourning all of that. He's worried about Israel as a nation. He's worried about his, uh, his his blood brothers and sisters, the Hebrews, and so he's he's just in deep, deep, deep depression and mourning. And yeah. so that's why he gives up all of those perks that he had, including decent food, uh, in order to focus totally on God and to let God know, I am coming before you in humility, taking everything away, taking every comfort away, so I will not be distracted. All I want to do is hear from you and for you to hear from me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Any other uh, questions? Mike? I don't have a question, but I'd like to tell a little tidbit. You were talking about angels, and uh, I may have told you this, but one time I was walking, uh, I was way up in the hills, and there was nobody around, just a barn, and I was, I go off walking by myself, and these three men that looked so bad got out of a pickup and started walking toward me. I didn't have a good feeling, let me tell you. There was nobody around for miles. And all of a sudden, this little red sports car pulled up. Uh, it was a convertible. And they said, get in. We'll give you a ride. And I I was so happy to get in. And it was only two or three miles. But And then they laughed and just sort of waved. And I think that was a divine appointment. I really do to this day. They came out of nowhere. Angels so- have red convertibles. I think that's really cool. <laughs> I love that. Well, I don't remember. In my mind, because 
I think if I told some people, they wouldn't understand, but I knew I, I had asked God for help because I knew it was in trouble. And I, uh, I believe those things happen, Lee. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank we you. Had a, so too. We had a similar, um, and, and it was very interesting because it also involved a car and, um, and protection for us. And we were in Slovenia and that is, um, in 2007 and we were um it was dark we were trying already, to get i i told that <laughs> oh, story that, sorry. already okay. so anyway that's to say other than other than i think that oh i think that we had um times in our lives where angels have intervened with Amen. or without us knowing yep Yes. Yeah. Well, that's I an interesting point. That. Well, and, and, you know, I, well, I'm not going to belabor that. I think all of us have had experiences where we're thinking there was some divine intervention there, whether it was visible or invisible. Um, I think we're aware of that. So yeah, Lee, you know, you do say- have to be careful who you say that to, but yeah. I, you know, and occasionally, I'm set. I mean, I just, <laughs> to be honest, occasionally I will run a stop sign or a red light. And when I get through it, I thank God that I was not hit. <laughs> oh, amen. <laughs> to yeah. me, right. amen. it is. <laughs> I'm not saying I do it on a regular basis. And it's normally, I mean, I don't do it purposely thinking, oh, I can run this red light. I think, oh my right. gosh, that light was red. I went through a stop sign just the other day. And I, of course, what do you do in the middle of the intersection? Stop and back yeah. up. <laughs> but I have time to I, think about it. I do think that God <laughs> saves me from getting hit in those kind of times. Right. Uh, <laughs> just. <laughs> I agree, Anne. I agree. I really believe in that. I just believe in it. Yeah, I've seen too many incidents with too many people that shouldn't have ended that way. And they did. Yeah. Yeah. I wholly agree. W H O L Y not H O L. I want to clarify one thing. Uh, Did you are going to teach then you're not, this isn't your last time for the summer. You're going to. No, no, no. We're, we're going to finish Daniel 12, uh, Daniel. Um, yeah, we're going to finish Daniel, uh, and, and we'll probably finish it early to mid June. And after that, we'll, we'll take a hiatus and, uh, pray over whether we do Ezekiel or not. I think Ezekiel is the next logical, uh, book because it also plays into Daniel and revelation as well. Um, So, yeah, no, t- today is not the end of anything. It, it will, we'll probably finish up Daniel and you're mid- just preparing us mm-hmm. for when you take a break. Y- yeah. Yeah. So I don't want you to go, oh, well, thanks for telling us, Mike. You know, I <laughs> just want to let you know ahead of time. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Lee, since you had the last question, how about closing us in prayer? I, I will. Thank you. <laughs> Father, we come to you with so much gratitude for the many things in our life. And 
I thank you for this lesson in, in uh, Daniel and in, <clears throat> and in Mike's faithfulness. Thank you for that. And Father, I pray all week. I pray for a good week for Lori and Mike and Sandra and John and Ann and Brenda and Janetta. And we thank you for the many blessings to a excuse me, ABC after all these years. And Lord, go mm. before our children. I feel a need to pray for um, mm. Josh and Heather. Will you be with them and give them guidance and protection and provision and, and just joy and happiness for all our grandchildren and protection. And Lord, we praise you again in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.